0: The French have this uh, phrase. It's called les mots d'escalier. And if you were to translate it word for word into English, it would be uh, the words of the stairs. Which, if you translated it word for word directly, would lose the meaning entirely. Um, Because it means so much more than the words of the stairs. Imagine this. Imagine you are uh, in... uh, in a conversation, maybe it's a heated conversation, perhaps there's some conflict in it with somebody, and um, as it happens, you just cannot respond with what comes, nothing quite comes to mind that will meet the moment, and you decide to leave the apartment. And you close the door, and you walk down the stairs of the apartment building, and that's when it hits. The perfect response, that retort that should have been on the tip of your tongue back then. But instead, the words came to you on the stairs. Les mots d'escalier. right? We don't really have a phrase for that in English, um, but they do in French. And this is how it is. English is a uh, sufficient language for many things, but often... When you learn another language, you find out there are different ways to say things. And in fact, when you learn that second language, you can appreciate the first one that you learned. I uh, took a course in seminary that I think was probably one of my favorite courses. It was called the Philosophical Foundations of Theology. It was taught by professors Tom Breidenthal and Mark Richardson. Tom is now the Bishop of Southern Ohio and Mark is, I think, the President and Dean of some seminary somewhere (laughs) up the hill. And um, one of the first things they did when they began teaching with us was to say just that, that if you know one language, that's good, but it's that second language that opens up more of the world. And it's true for theology as well. If you know one theological framework, that can help you understand God and the world and yourself. It's when you understand a second framework, however, that can critique and expand the first that even more depth is allowed for. So it's, um, it's as if you are looking through the world with one lens, a monocle, and then you bring alongside a second lens, and all of a sudden you have binocular vision. You can see the world in even greater depth and detail. So today I'd like to pick up two lenses, and the first comes to us from the Gospel of John. In this section that we just heard, Jesus is saying goodbye. This is what scholars have called his farewell discourse. What's happening is he's going to die, and he knows it. And so he's having his last meal with his friends, and they know it too, Even if they don't want to believe it, even if they do just about anything they can to prevent it, they know it. And they are scared. And they are deeply, deeply saddened. And so, one of the things that Jesus does as part of his last teaching at the table is to give them a promise. That when he goes away, when they no longer see him and know him in the way that they have, that God will send another. Another, okay, well, there are, depending on the translation, different ways that we hear it. um, That God will send another comforter. That God will send another helper. That God will send another advocate which frankly is just what these disciples need to hear. Right? You don't ever want a comforter until you're in a place in your life when you need one. You don't want an advocate unless you're in, your, in a place in your life when you need one. But let's, let's, uh, let's drill down a little deeper here and take a look at the Greek because some of the translations, they say that God will send another paraclete, right? A transliteration of the Greek. And so a paraclete means one who is called, kletos, clete, alongside, para. So God will send another one alongside, This then is one way, one lens, one language that the people of God have had over centuries. That God is present with us as one who comforts, as one who aids, as one who holds. For several years now, uh, many of us here at All Souls have been attempting to build affordable housing for seniors. uh, Right next door where our parish house currently stands and the parking lot is. And for as long as we've been engaged in this process, I had this hunch that it was going to come to a head at a certain point. That one of the smallest eyes of the needle, was going to be what in Berkeley is called the Zoning Adjustment Board. <laughs> and for anybody who's tried to build in this city, that can strike fear uh, because they hold an incredible amount and um, an unusual amount of power. And so uh, we had done a, a great deal of work over years of conversation with stakeholders in this immediate neighborhood and more broadly in the city. And so that night there were folks from All Souls there. There were um, some of our neighbors, some of whom were uh, in favor of the project, some were neutral, and some who were decidedly opposed. And the the format is we did a very brief presentation for this hearing and then um, back and forth each side spoke. And after all the people had had a chance to speak, uh, the night came down to this still point where the Zoning Adjustment Board gathered their thoughts and then they responded. And with one exception, in turn, the members of the Zoning Adjustment Board began to respond with praise. And it was shocking, actually. They, um, they commended us on this intention that we had started with and the thoughtfulness that had carried the process through and uh, an elegant design. And one after another, um, we heard reflected back to us what we were trying to do. In fact, one of the members of the board uh, who has been known over years to be the most uh, critical, uh, said, you know, I need to say that I'm Jewish, but this is one of the most Christian things that you could do. In the city of Berkeley, this was said. (laughs) So all in all, the the night was um, amazing. It was incredible. And uh, after the meeting was done, You know, by city of Berkeley standards, it ended early, just before midnight. We uh, made our way home. I I caught a ride uh, from downtown, and uh, then uh, the driver had to go pick someone else up and drop someone else, so I just uh, walked the last several blocks home, and it it was a cool but really beautiful July night. And this little sliver of a moon was rising, and as I was walking down the street, all of a sudden I found that I was crying. And it wasn't just like leaking a tear, like I was weeping just like uncontrollably. And they were tears of relief, uh, tears of joy, tears of gratitude. And of all the feelings that I felt in that moment, what was so incredible was I did not feel alone. I felt a a presence, a comfort within that I just was carried forward by. And so um, that night, it was July 12th, 2018, as I walked along Santa Fe Avenue, even though I was by myself, I knew that I was not alone. The second lens, uh, this one may feel more familiar. It's the one we hear every year on this day. During Eastertide, week by week, we've been following the acts of the apostles from Easter to today. But what's funny is we've heard all these stories and now we're going back to the beginning, uh, at the end, uh, to hear the spark that kindled the fire along the way. And uh, we hear a story of the spirit using very different language. Uh, it's a spirit that is um, fire, as of divided tongues, kind of like that, except three-dimensional, hot, kind of out of control, but not destructive. And uh, this violent, rushing uh, sound, this wind that, uh, that blows doors open so that people can breathe. And so uh, this is a different understanding of spirit. It's one that's, uh, well, uh, people have understood it like a, a wild goose that uh, you cannot control and that pushes you forward even when you might not yet be ready. A friend of mine is a priest in suburban Seattle uh, about a half hour outside the city, and uh, it's in South King County. And in this part of the Seattle metropolitan area, it's kind of similar actually to most West Coast cities, which is that as more and more capital is poured into the dense urban area, middle class and working class folks have been increasingly pushed further and further and further out. And so that's where this church, St. Columba's, is located. And about a year and a half ago, they were approached by a group uh, that works to resettle refugees that come from all over the world into this country. And um, so one of the things they, they found they really needed was space for people to plant and grow and harvest. Because many of these folks were coming to the United States from cultures where planting and harvesting, growing and cultivating are essential practices. And when you live in a tall apartment building, you no longer have access to the earth. So, St. Columbus set aside an acre of land for this garden and orchard. And for the last year and a half, people from all over the globe have been coming to plant the foods they know and love. And so this past December, um, we'll call him John. John is a, uh, an elderly, tall, slim, uh, Congolese man. And he was coming over. He comes over every day to tend to his garden, about a mile walk from his apartment to the garden Uh, This day, uh, my friend Alyssa was in her office and as John made his way into the parking lot on foot, she saw a police cruiser with lights. And so she immediately got up and went out into the parking lot to make sure that John didn't get hurt. And uh, what she found was John uh, frightened. And the police officer in his vehicle on his phone. Well it turns out the police officer was uh, struggling to find out what language John was speaking uh, by using Google Translate. And it was going to be really hard for the police officer to know the language because John almost entirely speaks his tribal language from the Congo. So Alyssa was there to help um, be present and to interpret and John was uh, smiling and nodding nervously while he held on to her for dear life. turns out that as John was walking over, uh, it was threatening to rain because, well, Seattle, and um, he had an umbrella with him. And a neighbor in the neighborhood saw him walking uh, with his umbrella and called the police, uh, phoning in a black man with a gun, who needed to be stopped. The police officer thankfully saw that this was an umbrella and Alyssa and John explained that he lives in the neighborhood and was coming to garden and so the police officer left and John went to tend to his plants. Alyssa went back to her office, wrote all this down and posted it on Facebook. And within an hour, one of her parishioners got to her and said, "We need to talk with our neighborhood council that meets at the church. This needs to be part of a public conversation." And so it took a while to get everybody in place, but last week, that's just what happened at St. Columbus'. There was um, some of the organizers of the uh, group that works with the refugees. There were a city council member members of uh, the neighborhood and the priest, Alyssa. The volunteers from the organization were really angry that um, one of their gardeners would be put into such a dangerous position for walking with an umbrella. And the uh, neighbors were uniformly horrified and Not entirely surprised. And so they began to tell the story of the garden. They had photos of the gardeners to show and told some stories. And they went out into the garden and walked around it and around in the orchards. And, um, well, something began to shift. You see that the neighborhood had not really ever seen the apartment complex as part of the neighborhood, which it is, but somehow through these interactions and learning this larger narrative, that began to shift, and some of the neighbors actually said, well, I have a large backyard. Um, Would some of the gardeners be able to come and use my backyard to garden? The, The story has many truths. And I believe that one of them is that the Spirit, when it comes alongside, it continues to expand the bounds that we hold, which can be very uncomfortable. Because one of the things the Spirit does as it breaks things open and leads to new space is to create new community, which we're not always ready for. That's what these, um, these people of St. Columbus have discovered over time, that um, the Spirit keeps leading them. And when the Spirit leads, here's what happens. It's uh, the creative act comes in the midst of unplanned chaos. And that more is made of them if they are able to open themselves up. Those are two lenses, two languages that the church has learned over centuries to be able to describe the experiences of God that happen over and over and over again. It seems to me that the Spirit, she takes the form of whatever we need. When our lives become dulled, rote, tired, she comes uh, as breath of life, as wind that pushes us. When The lives we lead have so much chaos when we are fragmented and pulled in more directions than we can count. The Spirit comes alongside to aid, to advocate, to comfort. What do you need? Do you need fire? to awaken, to enkindle in you new life? Ven, Espiritu Santo. Do you need comfort? Do you need someone alongside you, welling up within you? Vene, Sancte Spiritus. No matter the words we speak, The cry comes from the heart. Come, Holy Spirit.